Have you ever uh, have you ever had a time where you've gotten yard envy? Maybe you're, maybe you're driving around in the neighborhood, uh, and you look and you see a perfectly manicured lawn. I've been tricked by this once. It was astroturf, but I still, before I realized that it was a little early in the season to be that green, I I got a little bit of yard envy, and I look around and I've I've worked on yards, and the only good yard I've ever had was my first one, but it was sod, and I only lived there for another six months, so it didn't. It was the best, but I didn't really earn it. But, uh, and this is a side note, but if you ever notice, the, there's a, usually a, uh, a stereotype of people that actually have really good yards. They're a couple years older than me. They usually don't have jobs anymore. And so they, they, it's like they're, oh, oh. Retired people have the time. No, I'm just, anyways. And I'm, I'm waiting for that time when uh, my daughter's old enough that she can do the lawn care herself. She's a great helper, but she's not quite there yet. But the one thing that I've noticed about uh, when I've learned and stumbled and, and fumbled my way through trying to get a good yard is you get direct results based on overseeding. You know, you can pick weeds as much as you want and you can go through, but the best way is to overseed. And uh, the first few times that I did this, I was pretty cheap. I just put out a little bit of seed, and I figured each one would bloom into grass, and I should be great. But the times when I've actually had good results from my grass, and it's actually gotten better the next year, is when I just pour out the money onto my lard, buying all these seeds, and just spread it out like crazy. I just throw way more seed than I think is rational, and then I get a little bit of good results. And uh, today we're talking about the parable of the sower. I know I had said that we were done with Mark, but I just couldn't resist. The parable of the sower is so good. So uh, it's, it's something that we've probably all been very familiar with if we grew up in church, uh, unlike me. But I've read the story once or twice, so I'm, I'm ready to go on it. But it's a, great, it's a great parable. And Jesus, when he taught in parables, parables were actually just a story that was made up that had a purpose. And on the surface, they were very simple. But when you dug down, you actually found out they were very complex. And only those who really sought it out found the true deeper meaning behind them. And so I'll be reading out of the, uh, out of the NIV 2011 version. And uh, as I said in Mark, it calls it the parable of the sower. So follow along on the screen behind. Or if you have a hard copy Bible or an iBible you'd like to follow along, That'd be great too, and you can keep it open. I'll be uh, going back and forth in it. So it starts in, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out in the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching he said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed... Some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. That's the end of verse 9. We'll get further, but 
I just wanted to camp here for a second and, and just think, uh, when he's talking about the yield of 30, 60, and 100, most often we think, well, that's an extraordinary amount of yield. But actually, in biblical terms and in agricultural terms, those are fairly normal range. When you're sowing, uh, when you're sowing a field, when you're planting a seed, you're expecting a harvest of 30 to 60 to 100 times. It means that it's, it's within the range of good. It's a good crop, but it's not this amazing miracle. It's a good crop. And uh, the other thing that you notice is uh, if, if anyone has any more experience with farming than me, I'm from Alberta, but I've, I've had barely any. But when you look at this, the sower, it really seems like he's fairly careless, doesn't it? It seems like he's walking along his field. He sees some rocks. He sees the path, and he's just like spreading the seed willy-nilly. He doesn't really care. Maybe it's 4.30, and he's trying to get home for 5.30 dinner, and he's just trying to finish up. But it just, he's scattering seed all over the place. He's not looking where he's throwing, it seems like. And in, uh, in Jesus' time, agriculture was something that everyone would have understood. They were a culture that, that farmed, that grew up on farms, and there were very few people that didn't actually help out with agriculture or didn't at least understand what it was. And this was their way of scattering seed. They would have a bag, they'd walk around, and they'd just throw the seed out. And it seems willy-nilly and it seems wasteful, but they would scatter so much. And to our, to our Western uh, modern minds, this seems futile and it seems like a waste of effort. It seems like a waste of uh, fruitless labor. But then Jesus, at the end of this, he does something really cool in verse 9. He says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So he tells this story, and this is where he ends with the public pronouncements. And when he tells this story... And he says, whoever has ears, everyone has ears. But he said, let them hear. So they have to, they have to make a choice. If they, want to, if they want to actually understand the story, if they want to actually understand the parable, they have to li- truly listen and truly seek to understand. So he's saying, don't, don't just let this go by. Look beneath the surface. Don't let it go in one ear and out the other. Like husbands sometimes listen to their wives. That's a confessional right there. We're listening, but we're not really listening sometimes. Don't just hear the words, but actually seek to understand. There's something that uh, Karis and I were taught in pre-marriage counseling, which is really good. It's called active listening. And it means that uh, they say something, and then you repeat back what you heard. And it's never the same thing. I don't know if it's just how women's brains and men's brains work differently, but you never quite hear what the other person's saying. But if you practice active listening, you, you sound back what they said. It helps you. That's just an aside note. There's my marriage counseling for the day. All right, so Jesus, he's out and he's preaching the gospel, but he's saying, if you want to understand, it's up to you. I'm preaching the word, but if you want to, res- if you want to understand, the response is up to you. So he says, I'm out here preaching the word of God, but I can't force you to respond. Any modern day preacher can say the same thing. I'm standing up here. I'm preaching the word of God. That is, that is my responsibility as a pastor. I'm preaching the word of God. But it's up to each one of you how you respond. And so Jesus is saying, he's prompting them, if they really want to understand what he says, then try to seek to understand. And he goes on in verse 10. It says, when he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. So that, and he's quoting a passage here, 
that they may never, uh, they may ever be seeing, but never perceiving, ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. This, this passage makes it seem like it's harsh, that, that Jesus is, is almost trying to trick them. But it's actually the opposite. He's saying, I'm here and I'm preaching, but if they want to figure out the truth, they have to keep pursuing after me. They have to actually do a part. They have to react to it. And so he's saying that he's teaching in parables. He's teaching in these stories so that if they want to figure out the rest of the story, then they have to come and ask him. And this shows that there's already a division happening between the two groups of people here. The first is the crowd who, they're nowhere to be found. Jesus pr- told the story, and, now, and then they left, and then the disciples and his other people that are close, the twelve, the apostles, come up to him and they ask him, okay, now that the, the crowd's gone, explain to us what this means. And so Jesus goes on in verse 13, he says, Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? Verse 14, The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the, wor- where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they fall quickly away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, and some 100 times what was sown. So Jesus has this first group of people who totally ignore the under deeper meaning. They take it and go, well, that's a nice story. Yeah, we understand. Farmers, they sow seed, and then they get a response. But the disciples and the rest actually come to him and ask to explain the parable. And Jesus goes and breaks it down. And it, sometimes this, this parable is called the, uh, the parable of the seed. Or, sorry, the parable of the soil. Because we look at the soil. But there's actually two aspects here that we're going to be looking at. And the first is the sower themselves. We're going to be looking at the sower, and then we'll quickly look at the soil. But th- this is such an interesting parable, and even one of the, the deeper meanings that's kind of subtle and that, uh, that doesn't quite stand out is even just that as Jesus is telling this parable, he's actually living out the parable. He says that the, the sower is the one who's going out and spreading the word of God. He's casting out seeds as the word of God onto soil. And even the picture that uh, is shown here is Jesus is sitting in a boat and people are standing on the sand. But the actual original word uh, that's used for sand is the same word that Jesus uses for the soil. So the people are literally on the soil as he's casting out the word of God. And so he's preaching the gospel. He's preaching the word. He's giving them the truth. And then they are the soils that are receiving it in different ways depending on their heart condition who they are, their circumstances. And so Jesus has those disciples actually come to him and want to learn more. And so the four types of soil that, that Jesus breaks down, the first is the path. The path are those who don't want to repent. 
They hear the word of God and instantly reject it. If they hear the word of God at all, they dismiss it quickly. They just say, nope, that's not for me. I'm not interested. The second is rocky soil. There are those that receive it, and they say, yeah, I want that. But then their life gets hard, or something comes along, it becomes inconvenient to go to church, or it becomes inconvenient to follow after Jesus, and then so they give it up. They want a life of comfort, and when their life gets hard, they give up on Jesus. The third is uh, seed that's sown among thorns. Now, thorns are a distracted and unfruitful life. It says that they, they have the word of God, they have it, but eventually it gets choked out by distractions, by worries of life, by wealth, by whatever else. Something comes up that is more comfortable and they'd rather have than have Jesus. And so they're unfruitful. They don't produce, they don't produce anything. And then the fourth is good soil. And good soil is a fruitful life. It's those who in turn have been sown the word of God and then go out and sow the word of God. That is the crop that they're producing of 30, 60, 100 times. Is other people who have accepted and followed after Jesus like they have. They've shared what God has done in their lives by sowing seed and by going out and bearing a crop. And so there, in this, there's two distinct groups of people that we see. But in these two groups, there's actually three variations in the first group and then one type of person in the last group. But the main difference between these two groups of people is the first group is totally indifferent to other people. The word of God is completely for them. They hear it, they reject it, they don't care about it being for anyone else. And the last group cares about other people enough to sow the word in them. And so the difference between outsiders in the faith and insiders in the faith is that insiders are not indifferent. That's quite wordy, so I'll say it again. The difference between outsiders and insiders is that insiders are not indifferent. Insiders with Jesus, those who actually come to him, who want an explanation, who want to understand, care enough to share with others the hope of the gospel. They don't just receive it for themselves. It's not just something personal that changes their own life. They want other people to have it too. They're not just there for themselves. They're there for other people. And the main difference that you can see is their fruitfulness. They actually have results in their lives. They can point to other people and say, God used me to help that person. And so those who are disobedient and indifferent produce no fruit. They don't have anyone who they can point to that say, God helped me invest in that person's life. And so the obvious thing for us to look at is the type of soils that we can sit here and camp here. But like I said, there's another aspect to this parable, and I want to focus on that. I want to focus on the lessons that we can learn from the sower. Now, the sower in the story, one layer of it is that it's Jesus. Jesus spent three years of his life not only preaching the word, but living out the word in his life. He showed kindness and compassion and love for people so much that he was willing to die for them. But the, the sower has three distinct things about them that we can too can follow. The first is that the sower doesn't prejudge the soil. The sower in the story, he's walking around his fields and it doesn't matter what the soil looks like, he's casting seed on it. He doesn't go, well, this is good area of my, my land, this is a bad area, I'm, not, I'm only going to put seed here. No, what he does is he just casts it freely. He casts it all over the place. He doesn't prejudge the soil. 
And he casts seeds seemingly with abandon. Like seeds are going out of stock. Like you just throw it out there. It doesn't matter. And it seems wasteful, doesn't it? And if we're, if we're uh, followers after Jesus and we are saying that we want to cast out our seeds, the seeds and the, the, the energy, the time, the love, the effort, the money, everything that we have, the words that we have, it seems like we should invest it in the best place possible, doesn't it? It seems like why would we waste time on someone who doesn't seem like they're going to receive it? Why would we offer to pray for somebody who seems like they're mad? Why would we offer to be with somebody that, that seems hopeless? Well, because Jesus calls us to. And that's what he did. Jesus, Jesus was with the least of these. Jesus never prejudged people. He cast out his seed. He taught the message to this crowd. Even knowing that most of them were rejected, he still gave them the chance. And so he cast it far and wide. It doesn't matter wherever they went, wherever the seeds of the gospel went, whether it was on the path, on the rocks, on the thorns, or on the good soil. The beautiful thing is that God's word is effective and it doesn't fail. Maybe some will reject it, but not everyone will. We, and we never know what God is doing in someone else's life. There could be that person that seems like they're the farthest from God, that they're so angry, they're so mad, they get mad at you anytime you bring up Jesus and that Jesus loves them, but maybe they're just this close to following after Jesus. So we should never write off or judge someone's openness or effectiveness with the gospel. And so sowers are to sow freely. Isaiah 55, 10 to 11 says this, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Spreading of the gospel is effective, and it will work. Will everyone receive it? No. But will some? Yes. If we're going around handing out seeds one at a time to people, are we going to have much of a harvest? Just one seed at a time? No, we're supposed to cast seeds freely. You know, the modern-day farming uh, is that the, they have machines that will even just shoot pneumatically, shoot seeds in in the perfect row and the perfect spacing and everything. And that may be more efficient, but it's not what God calls us to do. He calls us to cast seed freely, and his word will not return void. The second thing that the sower does is the sower takes no credit. They don't go, look at what I did. Instead, success comes from God alone. It's God's word, and it's God's, uh, it's God's work. It's, it's in 1 Corinthians 3, 5 to 7. This is, uh, this is Paul in a letter talking where, where people have gotten uh, really fixed on who they're following. And there's this competition between which pastor is the best pastor. And then Paul responds with this. After all, what is Apollos? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. So it doesn't, it's not about lifting people up, it's about what God is doing. God is amazing. He's at work. And so for me personally, if I've done anything good, anything of value, anything of lasting value in my three years here, give God the glory. Don't go, well, that wasn't Adrian great. 
Wasn't he awesome? I don't, it's, I didn't do it for me. I did it for Jesus. So if God did something good in your life through my time, through my ministry here, praise his name. Because I, I want to be his humble servant wherever I am. And it's not about me. My head doesn't need to get any bigger. It wouldn't fit on my shoulders. So praise his holy name. So the third is that the sower is faithful and fruitful. You know, in uh, Christian circles, sometimes there's this discussion between, well, should we be faithful or should we be fruitful? Which, which, is, which is God more judging us on? Being faithful, just sticking to it no matter what, or being fruitful, having results? And the answer is yes. God wants us to be faithful and he wants us to be fruitful. But he wants us to be faithful in sowing seeds and, and fruitful in ourselves. Now, I can control myself through the power of God and the Holy Spirit now that he's broken the power of sin. I can control myself, but I can't control any one of you. So I, I can be faithful in sowing the seeds and loving other people, but it's up to them to be fruitful in themselves. I can be fruitful in me. I can control sowing my output, and I can control my input and how I grow. And so those that are faithful in sowing seeds of the gospel freely into others, and then are, they ensure in their own lives they're fruitful by sticking close to Jesus and being obedient. So we're called to be faithful in sowing and fruitful in ourselves. John 15, 16 says this, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. So we are to be bearing fruit. We are to be growing in our love and our obedience towards Jesus and our love for other people. And so the question obviously is, is if you are a follower of Jesus, are you faithfully sowing seeds of the gospel? Or are you, are you waiting for that one perfect opportunity, that one perfect person that I'll, I'll share a little bit? We're supposed to be faithfully sowing all the time. And how are you sowing seeds? Are you picking and choosing and handing out seeds one at a time? Or are you casting them far and wide and leaving the results up to God? So the sower doesn't prejudge the soil. He doesn't judge other people and say, well, is this person worthy about hearing of the gospel? The second is they take no credit. They don't go, look at this person I led to the Lord. I always think that's a funny phrase. Jesus, Jesus did it. And you just happen to be blessed to be the one that was there. Even as Paul says, well, I planted the seed of Paul's water. We're just servants. It doesn't matter which step of the journey we were on. If somebody comes to faith in Jesus, it's, it's the credit goes to Jesus and praise his name. There's celebration in heaven when people come to faith in Jesus. It's an awesome thing. And so... We're called to not prejudge the soil, to take no credit, and then to be faithful in sowing and fruitful in ourselves. And lastly, the soil itself. So the, the, there are four types of soil. The first three, and there are different ways, whether immediately, over time, or eventually, reject the word of God. The good soil does the opposite. The good soil welcomes the word, first of all, immediately. It hears the word of God and doesn't go, well, is that for me? I'm not sure. It goes, no, I, wanna, I want that to be true in my life. They welcome the word of God so it's not snatched away. It can't be taken from them. Second, the good soil welcomes the word deeply. It goes deeply into their hearts so that no matter what happens, no matter if they're persecuted, no matter if someone says, are you a Christian? 
If you say, yes, I'm going to kill you, you'd say, yes, I'm a Christian, no matter what. That's deeply. And then third of all is exclusively. No other concerns can take priority. If Jesus is one of your priorities, then he's not the top priority. Jesus has to be number one in your life. He has to be your exclusive love, your exclusive one. And then you get to love other people. You get to love your family. Jesus once said that, uh, that if, you don't, if your love towards him isn't compared almost to hate for your, for your uh, family, then it's not enough. Yes, we're not actually called to hate our mother and father. We're not called to hate our wives. We're not called to do this. But our love towards Jesus must outshine others so much that if we're ever left with a choice, if let's say a, a husband and wife get married and they're non-believers, and then one of them comes to faith in Jesus, and then the husband says, well, if you're going to keep going to church, then I'm not going to be with you. Then the decision has to be, well, I'm sorry. I'm going to keep going to church, but I'd still love to be married to you. That's, the, that's one of the hard choices that it takes. Or maybe like Canada might be going this way eventually culturally, but maybe if it says, if you say you're a Christian and you go to church on Sundays, then you, you're no longer going to have your job. Well, then it's worth it, isn't it? Because what is, what is a, a short lifetime of persecution and hurt and anger or other people being mad at you versus an eternity of not being with Jesus? And so the good soil welcomes the word immediately, deeply, and exclusively. Now, I'm not going to take a, a show of hands, uh, even with eyes closed, head bowed, but who thinks they're good soil? Everyone thinks that they're good soil, right? Everyone wants to assume we're the good soil. I'm the good soil, right? But the hard, the hard truth is each one of us has to ask ourselves honestly, am I the good soil? And that's, that's one of the tough questions of life. Does Jesus truly have all of my obedience? Or am I holding stuff back from him? Am I truly living my life faithfully sowing seeds to other people? You know, Karison and I talk quite a bit uh, about evangelism, about preaching the gospel, and the, the question is, are we doing enough? Am I doing enough? And I think the question is always, no, I could always be doing more. And I always want to be doing more, but I think, I think any time that we start to feel like we're getting complacent, like, yeah, no, I'm great, I'm good, I'm in, I think that's when we should be concerned. I, I don't think we should live in guilt, and I don't think we should live in fear, but I think we should always have this sense of urgency that I want to use the time that Jesus has given me on this earth to the best way possible. I don't want to waste it. I'm not earning it because he's already done it. So it's not about that. It's not about like trying to get enough points to get in. It doesn't work like that. It's not a uh, points rewards program. It's about loving him enough to love other people with my whole life. And so I think we have to ask ourselves, am I willing to do the right thing even if others disagree with me? Am I willing to do the hard things even when it makes other people criticize me, get mad at me, or are sad? If, I, if I'm convinced I've heard the word of God in something, don't I have to follow after him? So for each one of us, if we know that God has called us to something, we have to do it. Maybe it's small, maybe it's, maybe it's hard, maybe it's whatever. Maybe it's you're at the grocery store and God says, why don't you go talk to that person? And the introvert inside of you says, no, I don't like talking to people I don't know. But maybe that person, maybe that person just needs someone to say hi to them. 
And so whatever it is, live your lives with purpose. And ask, am I willing to sow the word of God freely with others whenever and wherever and with whoever, without judgment? Be used by God freely. So I like to do this. There's three practical ways that we can act on this morning's message. The first is to read John 15. John 15 is a great passage. Uh, it's, yeah, it's a great passage. We, we went through John uh, last year, but it's a great passage to dig into. So read John 15. Second is to ask in prayer, what type of soil am I? Really? Because if we're asking that question, then it's not too late, no matter what type of soil we are. And the third is to ask for Jesus, to, or to pray for Jesus to make you fruitful in yourself, that you would grow in love and obedience to, uh, to him and in love to other people. So would you please join me in prayer as we, uh, as we welcome the worship team to come back up and lead us in response with worship. Jesus, I thank you for who you are. And I thank you for the message of the parable of the sower. That you are the sower who has sowed the seed of the gospel, of hope, of truth, of love into our lives, Jesus. And I pray for each single one of us here this morning, whether we already have a relationship with you or not, that we would be good soil. That we would be faithful to you in sowing seeds, the little that we know about you, Jesus, that we would be faithful in sharing that. And that we would be fruitful that we would grow in love and obedience towards you. I thank you for, for what you are doing in this church, Jesus. Lord, I still do believe that you have plans and a purpose for this church. As, as uh, Viola read early, Jer Jeremiah 29, 11, Lord, you have a plan, you have a purpose. And Lord, that was, that was written to your church when it was in the middle of uh, intense persecution, where it had been cast out of the Holy Land. And Lord, but you said you have hope and you have a plan. So even when it looks dark and even when it's hard, Lord, you have plans. And so, Lord, I pray for the future of this church, that you would bring the right person to come and to pastor and to lead and to lead this church forward in the plans that you have for it, Jesus. And so I thank you for what you are doing and say, holy be your precious name, Jesus. Amen.